0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear and read and learn and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here this evening. We've been considering a series in the evening through the book of Ruth, and we've come to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth is towards the beginning of the Old Testament between Judges and 1 Samuel. Um, You'll find Ruth 2 on page uh, 283 of many of our Pew Bibles, uh, the book of Ruth. And so we want to read the whole chapter together, Ruth chapter 2, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn." Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel." one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. When we considered together the last part of the book of Ruth, I don't know if you pay much attention to the titles of sermons, I always find they're sort of difficult things to come up with, especially when you have to write the title of the sermon before you're done with the sermon, it poses some challenges. Um, But last week we we called our sermon Bitter in Bethlehem uh, because Naomi was experiencing the bitterness. She had asked to be called Mara, which means bitter, because she was one who had gone away full but had been brought back empty. Uh, She is the one that the Almighty had judged and afflicted. Um, She was really feeling her emptiness and her bitterness. And we talked last week, didn't we, about the deceitfulness of sin and how it deceived Naomi into thinking there was nothing more that she could expect from life than what it had become. Uh, Nothing more to expect from her life than pain and suffering. Um, And pain and suffering can do that to us, can't it? It It can turn us so that we can't see anything else. I remember coming across... A description once where someone said pain and suffering turn us aggressively inward on ourselves. Pain and suffering turn us aggressively inward on ourselves. Um, And we know that that's true and and that can, especially when it's intense kinds of pain and intense kinds of suffering, uh, can turn us so aggressively inward on ourselves that that's all we see is our pain and suffering. Um, And the only voice that speaks to us seems to be the voice of our pain and our suffering. And it's precisely at those times in the life of God's people that we need His intervention. Uh, We need His grace to turn us outside of ourselves and to see something else and to see someone else and to hear another voice speaking to us than just that voice of our pain and suffering. We need the Spirit to turn us outward from that to see Christ and to see the hope that we have in Him. Um, And so He must take our lives when they become aggressively inwardly focused and turn our focus out to Christ and to his faithfulness. Um, So that instead of listening continually to our our bitter and sin-deceived hearts, we begin to hear the good news of the gospel of grace that comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And that's one of the beautiful things that we begin to see in this passage. Um, As Naomi begins to be turned out from herself, turned out from her pain and suffering, uh, to see again the faithfulness of God. Uh, This is really the story of God beginning to turn her bitterness into blessedness, uh, both for Ruth and for Naomi. Um, and as we see this in our text, as we see this, this isn't, isn't just a story of something that God did for someone else. Uh, this, of course, is a story of God's way with his people, uh, that God always shows his kindness to us and promises to turn all of our bl- bitterness ultimately into his blessedness. And so we wanna think about how God begins to do that for uh, these women here. Um, and how do these women begin to experience blessedness? in this passage from the God? Well, first by finding favor. That's the first place this passage directs us, experience blessing through finding favor. Uh, Then through receiving comfort, that's another way they experience blessedness from God. And finally, by remembering his faithfulness. Uh, That's also how they experience blessing. And so that's why we wanna think about this text together, finding favor, receiving comfort, and remembering faithfulness. Um, that's where Ruth's search begins as as our passage starts. She's looking for favor. Uh, That's what we're told um, in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Uh, She doesn't know who that is at this point. She's looking for favor. She's looking for a favorable person. um, Someone who will welcome her to do what God's law provided. Um, we, we may not remember uh, the, the provisions of God's law in this respect, but uh, God had specifically provided that when they planted fields, they should not glean the corners, um, and they should not go back over the field to pick up what had been dropped. And the reason God told them not to do that is so that the poor who didn't have fields of their own, who were in need, could come and they could glean the corners of the fields, and they could pick up off the ground what had been dropped by the farmers. And that was God's way of providing sort of welfare and workfare for their society. Uh, There was a way to be fed if you were poor, and there was work that you could then do before the Lord to feed yourself and to feed your family. And this was meant to be a, a way of cooperating together to provide for the poor, and so that's what God's law had provided. Of course, as we've been reminding ourselves going through this text, this was the time of the judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So it may not be that everyone is doing what God has called them to do, right? We all know the sad truth is just because God has made a law doesn't mean we obey it. Um, And that certainly was a time when many people would not be obeying the law. And so I think what she's trying to say is trying to find someone who is righteous, someone who is doing what God is calling them to do and will not Be angry with someone who comes into their field seeking to eke out a living for themselves. Um, And we we read in this passage that not only is that difficult because you may not find a person who's favorable to this, but that this was a kind of dangerous work. Uh, There are reminders in this passage that you may be subjected to verbal abuse for doing this. Um, we, We hear in this passage about the reproaches and the rebukes from the workers. Uh, Boaz specifically tells his reapers not to do that, but there's that danger, isn't there, presented to us in the text, and not just the danger of verbal abuse, but the danger of physical abuse. Um, Women without families were vulnerable in this society. This was dangerous work that she's doing, and so Ruth is showing wisdom. She wants to go somewhere that will be safe, somewhere that will be a good place to do this. She's looking for someone who will look on her with favor. Um, And isn't it wonderful, even before she begins her search for someone who is going to be favorable to her, the Lord introduces us to a worthy man. Um, Verse 1 tells us about Boaz. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Um, We're introduced to Boaz, who is a worthy man. Um, He is worthy of serving he's worthy of being in his presence he is presented to us really in this passage in a way that you just like him Um, he's one of these characters in the bible it's a true story um, but he's one of these characters in the bible you sort of immediately like Um, but as as the story goes on and we learn more about who boaz is we recognize that boaz has quite a notable pedigree in israel he's not just a worthy man he's a very important person Um, He comes from some of the best families uh, you could come from. His grandfather's name was Nashon, who was the chief of the tribe of Judah in the wilderness. You knew that. I was just reminding you of that fact. Uh, Nashon was the head of the tribe of Judah when they were going in the wilderness. And that was a tribe that was 75,000 fighting men strong. They went out ahead of Israel um, they led Israel in the wilderness, the clan of Judah. So he's the grandson of the man who led the Israel in the wilderness. Um, he was an important person. Um, his brother-in-law was uh, Aaron, the high priest. So he came from well-connected places. Um, and his nation's son, Salmon, uh, married Rahab, who was the spot who hid the spies in Jericho. Um, he married her. And so... This is a notable family that Boaz comes from, people we know from the scriptures. Um, and it's someone who means he would have been someone important in Judah, someone who was important in this town. Um, and so he's, he's a very important person. Um, and yet we see him being friendly to people, even though he is an important person, no doubt. Um, he's friendly to all the people who might have been reckoned in society as little people. I think one of the reasons we like Boaz so much is because of the way we're introduced to him in verse 4. He comes and he says to his farmers, the Lord be with you. Um, And they say back to him, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. Um, I think that's what makes us like him right from the beginning. Um, He may be someone of notable pedigree, but he's not too great or grand, to talk to his reapers. And he takes a concern for this young woman who is reaping in his fields. Um, You can almost imagine the Holy Spirit winking at us when it tells us, she happened to come into his field. Um, We know that nothing happens by chance, right, in the Bible. Isn't that a wonderful way of the Holy Spirit putting it to us? She happened to come into the field of Boaz. And while she was reaping, Boaz happened to come and find her there. Um, and ask his, ask his men, whose young woman is this? Who does she belong to? How does she happen to come into our field? Uh, he inquires after her and receives a good report about her. Uh, whose young woman is this? Um, he gets a good report in verses 6 and 7, a good report of what she's done for her mother-in-law and a good report of how she's worked. Uh, we could roughly translate verse 7 as, she's been here all day working like a dog. Um, She started in the morning early, she's taken one short break, she's been working all day long, Um, she's showing a lot of industry and work, um, and she has come into a field and finds the thing that she was looking for. Uh, She finds favor, just as she was seeking it. Um, And he shows the extent of that favor by what he says uh, in verses 8 and 9. Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink water that the young men have drawn. Um, this is a wonderful a wonderful provision for her. And you know, from her perspective, this must have come out of nowhere. Uh, to have the landowner come up to her and talk to her, not like, a beggar, but like a daughter, that's, that's a close familiar way to talk, um, and to make all of these provisions for her without her even asking for any of these things, to make provision for her safety, to make provision to make sure she has enough water, she doesn't have to go draw it for herself, uh, she can drink with what the young men have drawn, she can glean with them, and so it's all these provisions he's made to make her life easier, to make her life safer, um, and she knows nothing about this person or why he's doing this. Um, And so she asks the question we might expect in verse 10. She wants to know why. Why have I found favor? I was looking for favor, but why have I found it? That's really the question of verse 10. Why have I found favor? Um, Well, we know why she's found favor, because she's been looking for it in faith. Um, And what do we call favor from the Lord? We call that grace, Um, and it's a reminder that those who look for grace from the Lord find it. Um, That shouldn't be surprising to us, uh, that she seeks favor and has sought the Lord's protection, and she finds it. It's a wonderful reminder to us that those who look for God's grace in faith will always find it in Christ. That God is a God who gives the grace his people need uh, to meet the things that they need. It's wonderful that we have a God who does this and that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is not only the one who assures us that God will always show us grace to those who have put their faith and trust in Him, but who is someone who knows what it is to desperately need something, um, to pray a prayer like, Father, let this cup pass from me and learn that that's not His will, uh, to, be, to have to face that hard reality. Um, It's a wonderful thing to know that we have that kind of God who knows that life can be difficult when we desperately pray for the things we want from the Lord and they don't seem to be the Father's will for us. Uh, And Christ reminds us that He's the kind of Savior that guarantees us that we will have grace. We will have grace from our God even in difficult times, that when God's answer is no to our desires that He always gives us the grace that is sufficient. Uh, to meet the needs that we have. And we can be assured in Christ that we will always find favor from our God. We will always find grace from our Heavenly Father. He's a God who delights to shower His people with grace. Uh, She finds favor from Him. um, And as He speaks to her, she also experiences blessedness by receiving comfort from Him. Um, It's this wonderful reflection that when when she asks, Why have I found favor?, Uh, He explains it to her in verse 11. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." I think that's a really significant thing that he says to her. Not because it's just because it's a beautiful thing that he says to her. It is that, isn't it? It's a a wonderful, comforting word that he speaks to her. Um, I think it's significant because these are the only words that have really been spoken of comfort to Ruth since she made her decision to follow the Lord. Ever since she said, I'm not going to go back to Moab. I'm going with you, Naomi. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. I'm with you till the end. I'm with you till I die. Um, Where you die, that's where I'll be. That's where I'll be buried. She made this wonderful commitment, and Naomi said nothing. I think that commitment has been hanging in the book of Ruth, unanswered. Um, And when she comes with Naomi to Bethlehem, the women of the town speak to Naomi. They talk to Naomi about What's going on with you? What's happened? You know, Naomi is there and it's like Ruth doesn't exist. No one says anything to Ruth. Um, Ever since Ruth has made this great commitment to leave her family, to leave her nation, to leave really her hopes of a future behind and link herself to the Lord and to his people, no one has said anything to her about doing that. No one has said anything to her in this passage about doing that until now. Until Boaz comes along and says, I know, I've been told what you've done. I've been told how you left your father and your mother and your nation. I've been told how you, how you came to take refuge under the wings of God. Um, I've been told of your kindness. I've been told of your devotion. Um, and he pronounces a blessing over her. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Isn't that a wonderful word of comfort that comes to her? Reminding her that her commitment to the Lord and to his people have not been in vain. The things she's done to serve her mother-in-law and to serve the Lord have not gone unnoticed. Um, It's a wonderful reminder that here God, through Boaz, speaks comforting words to Ruth for her faithfulness and for her commitment to God and to his people. That's um, a wonderful word of comfort. Um, he recognizes, even if no one else does, that this was an act of faith. Right? We, we've, we noted uh, going on how Naomi has always seemed to be having, having her eyes fixed on things in solely earthly terms. Right? She told her daughter-in-laws, go back to Moab because there's really nothing for you in Israel. There's, there's, no, there's no real prospects of a future there. Go back to your family. Go back to your gods, right? Um, there's really no future. Everything had been kind of in earthly terms. And it would be easy to see her commitment simply in earthly terms. She just committed to her mother-in-law. But Boaz sees it not like that, not just an act of family kindness, but for what it is, which is an act of faith, an act of faith in the Lord. And it's in response to that, that he's pronouncing this blessing upon her and using Boaz as his servant to comfort Ruth in her faithfulness. Um, It's a wonderful response she makes to what he says. It sounds like the response of someone who's not heard a comforting word and now has heard one. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She recognizes this great kindness that has been shown to her. Um, We see the effect that it has on her. And it's a wonderful thing to think about. I think this too has a lot to teach us um, about our God, who not only shows us grace, but speaks comforting words to us. It's a wonderful thing when God speaks comforting words to us through his servants, um, allows us to hear those words that we need to hear. Um, We need to hear those comforting words because so often our service to Christ goes unremarked in this world. Uh, It's not impressive to people. Um, Sometimes people wonder why we do it, right? Maybe they never say that, they're too polite to say it, but if if they said, you're going back to church tonight and you were there this morning, and you're going back again to how many times do you have to do this exactly? I mean, it, it's things that people don't understand, right? It, it, it is strange to the world. It's foolishness to the world to do these things. And so often our service to God is unremarked. It just seems strange to people in the world. And when God sends servants to speak to us comforting words, to know that our service is not in vain, that our service is recognized, that the Lord sees and the Lord rewards. It's a wonderful thing to be reminded that the Lord sees your faith, and He sees your obedience. And we know that it's all of grace, it's not as if we're taking credit for these things, but the Lord sees the service that's given to Him. Um, And so often the Lord speaks a comforting word to us, reminding us who we are and whose we are, and the reward of grace that that awaits His people. And that's why church attendance is so important, right? For us to hear those comforting words. Now, I'm making the cardinal sin of ministers, which is to talk about church attendance to the evening crowd. You're already the select of the elect we've talked about before, right? You're here in the evening already. Um, but it, we, only, we always need this reminder, right? We need to come and continue to hear God speaking comforting words to us in the gospel. And he's, he's arranged the service so it's just shot full with his comforting words. He greets us, he reminds us of our sin, and then comforts us to know that our sins are covered by Jesus Christ. We get to sing together, we get to hear his word proclaimed to us. It's a comforting word of the gospel of grace that God has come to give us. Um, He speaks comforting words to us through his servants. He also creates an environment where we can speak comforting words to each other. Um, Isn't that a wonderful characteristic? I think the reason we like Boaz so much uh, as a character when we're introduced to him in this story is because all he comes and does is bless and care for people. Right? Bless you, right? Oh, I've heard about you. Bless you. Um, I hear you need things. I'm going to provide them for you. I'm going to make sure you're safe. I'm going to make sure you're provided for. Um, go ahead and go in and, and reap with my reapers. Don't worry. You don't have to just follow and glean behind them. Go ahead and glean right with them. Just act, you can act just like you're a reaper and take it right off. And then he tells his men, "And take some of the stuff here and just drop it for her so it'll be easier for her to pick up. Um, he's a guy who blesses. He's a guy who provides, right? Word and deed, that's how he comforts. Um, and we need that too from one another, um, to be people who delight to speak comforting words um, and not only to serve one another with our words but also with our deeds. Um, these words that he speaks and the things that he, do, uh, he does are the kinds of things that we see in the New Testament being commanded to God's people. Right? We're, we're commanded to do a lot of things for one another in the New Testament. We're instructed to comfort one another, to greet one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up in the Lord, to stir one another up to love and good works. Uh, to sing songs, right, to encourage one another. Um, all those things need to happen. For those things to happen, we need to be together. It's hard to do those things for one another if we're not around one another, right? Um, so this is another wonderful reminder of the importance of fellowshipping together as God's people, not just to receive comforting words, but to receive comforting care. Uh, the deeds that he does for Ruth are, are wonderful in this passage, to protect her from abuse provide for her to make her life easier. When it's lunchtime, she sits down with them and eats their lunch with them. And at the end of the day, she is filled by lunch and has more left over. Uh, That's the wonderful provision, the overflowing abundance that God has provided her. Um, And it's made quite an impact on her life. Um, And Naomi recognizes that impact when she comes home. Right? You can imagine when Ruth left, there might have been a lot of questions about, I don't know how this gleaning will go. How much can you glean from people's fields? How much will you work and be able to come back with? Um, how will we make ends meet? Um, but when we come to the end of the passage, we see really Naomi remembering the faithfulness of God again. That's, that's where our passage really leaves us as Ruth comes back to Naomi, and Naomi, Naomi hears everything that's happened. And I think it's significant because of the complaint she made at the end of chapter one. What was Naomi's complaint about what had happened to her? I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. How did Ruth go away in the morning? Empty. I'll see if I can find favor somewhere. I'll see if I can find a field to glean in somewhere. She went away empty. And how does she come back? She comes back full, doesn't she? Um, Satisfied with the food that she was given, uh, with a to-go bag to bring back to Naomi, she had so much to eat at lunch, and she has harvested so much that she doesn't have just that food and leftovers for the day, she has food for them for the future. Um, Now maybe when we read an ephah of barley, not everyone, oh wow, an ephah how much is an EFA? and then you look at your note and it's about a third three-fifths of a bushel and you want to say okay thank you how much is a bushel uh, 22 liters so 10 two-liter bottles filled with barley that's a lot of barley that might be around 30 to 50 pounds of barley and so you can imagine Ruth going we'll see what we can find when she left and she comes back here's the leftovers from lunch oh and by the way I've got about 50 pounds of barley I think we're going to be okay for a while. And no wonder Naomi wants to understand, how, how has this happened? Where did you go, right? Um, you know, it might be kind of the equivalent of, did you rob a bank? Like, how did you come back with this much food? Where were you? What did you do to get this? Um, and she's told where she was, and she knows something that, about Boaz that Ruth doesn't know. So when Ruth says, I went to the field of Boaz, um, Naomi knows exactly who she's talking about. Um, She told her mother-in-law in in verse 19, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Um, He's one of our family members. You happen to find a close relative of ours. And what does Naomi recognize in that? It's evidence that the Lord's kindness has not forsaken us. What had been her problem when her pain and her suffering had turned her aggressively inward on herself? All she was hearing is, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forsaken me. And what is God doing by what he's done in Naomi and through whom he's done it? He's turning her back out, isn't he, to himself. And she comes to recognize this is a measure of the Lord's faithfulness. It's the Lord who hasn't forgotten his kindness. That word kindness is a very important word in Hebrew. It's that wonderful word chesed which we can translate in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love, sometimes grace, sometimes mercy, sometimes covenant faithfulness. It's a hard word to translate because it really encompasses and captures and comprehends all of God's covenant love and faithfulness to his people. So in that sense, steadfast love is a good one. And Naomi is being reminded of two vital truths. The first of which is the Lord never forsakes His kindness. The Lord never forsakes His steadfast love. What happens sometimes is we forget it, but that's different than Him forsaking it. Sort of like when clouds obscure the sun, the sun is still there, we just don't see it. Um, We may forget the steadfast love of the Lord, particularly when pain and suffering turns us inward but God doesn't forget. That's why there should always be hope. That was really the sad thing that happened to her. She seemed to lose hope. We lose hope if we begin to think that God has forgotten his kindness. But when we remember that God never forsakes his kindness to his people, then that's a great cause for hope. And we all need God to do that for us from time to time, to remind us again of his covenant love and faithfulness. Sometimes we need that reminder the most when things are the hardest. Um, one of the bleakest books in the Bible is the book of Lamentations. It, almost has, it also has some of the greatest statements of hope in it. Right, Lamentations three seventeen to 24, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. That's someone who's getting turned aggressively inward. And what does God do? But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love, the of the Lord, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. It's the spirit that turns us from a hopeless existence back out to hope in God. Um, in those dark nights of the soul, when our misery and our, has caused us to forget our happiness, when our endurance and hope are exhausted, it's particularly when our souls are bowed down that we need to be reminded that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. And the second truth that Naomi remembers, the last truth we'll think about, is that there is a redeemer. Um, One of the reasons it's hopeless is what can we hope for in the world, and we're reminded here that there is a redeemer. And we're introduced to an important concept that will be further developed in the story of the kinsman redeemer, someone who was obligated to buy his relatives out of slavery, sometimes obligated to to marry widows, as we thought about a little bit this morning. Uh, But Naomi now counsels Ruth to cling close to this man and to his kindness because he is one of their redeemers. Um, It isn't a hopeless existence that is set out before them. Even in earthly terms, the Lord has provided a redeemer. And it's not hard for us to see how we get to Christ in this passage, is there? To be reminded from God, God's people need reminding from time to time that there is a Redeemer. That there is a Redeemer. We remember the faithfulness of our God in raising up a Redeemer for us, who is really the full measure of God's steadfast love, the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world to buy us out of our slavery to sin who would not allow his kinsmen, his brothers and sisters, to remain slaves to sin and its misery, but gave himself up, body and soul on the cross, to pay the redemption price that would set us free. We need to be reminded that there's a Redeemer when things are dark. We have a Redeemer who is Christ the Lord. So when we feel like our pain and suffering is too much and there's no hope of escape, we need to remember The great work of our Redeemer and how he set us free. He has already freed us from sin slavery by his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. He's coming soon to make all things new. It's the hope we meditated on this morning. It's the hope that I hope will carry us through uh, this week and all the days of our lives, that he's coming soon. And when he comes, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. Thanks be to God for our Redeemer. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for showing us how bitterness can become blessedness through uh, your grace and your remembering your comfort to us. We pray that we would have our hearts and minds filled with your steadfast love and how you showed that ultimately to us in Christ. Remind us of our Redeemer and his work, of what he has done and what he will do for us soon when he comes. Thank you for him and hear us, we pray in his name. Amen.